For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today, we predict offseason moves for the six teams that have exited the NFL playoffs in wildcard weekend. Those are your Seahawks, your Bucks, your Miami Dolphins, LA Chargers, Baltimore Ravens, Minnesota Vikings. No big deal, Hayden. Just, you know, general managers, head coaches get paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to do this for their own team. And we're going to do it in about an hour. Not for millions of dollars either. Um, <laughs> yet. Uh, yeah, the, these are like some of the most interesting teams to me because they are like close to being yep. contenders, but they're not really. And now you have to make these decisions. Okay, do we go back and rebuild or do we try to go return in 2023? And this is where GMs get fired and not just that GMs get fired the next season. You can also set back your franchise multiple years oh, yeah. with these decisions. So let's uh, let's make them. Yeah, all six of these teams got to the same point, but went about it in different ways. As you said, that makes them really intriguing. Some overperformed, some underperformed, some went all in and might pay the piper in order to yes. do that for the coming years. Uh, as you know, we're going to go through what we learned from these teams this season and what we want to see them do, what we expect them to do in the upcoming months as well. We'll kick it off with the Seattle Seahawks. Hayden, they have the number five overall pick. We're going to do these in draft order. And it's pretty amazing. And what we learned that the Seahawks were right to move on from Russell Wilson. That's point number one, because it's not just Russ's performance. And I don't even want to talk about that. It's what we saw from the quarterback in the offense in lieu of him. I mean, Geno Smith is easily a top 20 quarterback in the NFL, but there were long stretches of the season with top 10 quarterback play. Surrounded by two awesome wide receivers in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett with a big play running back in Kenneth Walker. Altogether, that gives you a framework of a great offense. Not just good, a great one is in place. And with that, we know is a team can be built and a winning organization can be built off of that for the next three to five years. Yeah, so I think Geno Smith says he wants to be back. The Seahawks have told him they want him back. They have the franchise tag, which is about $30 million if they want to go that route. Or they can do like, a, a, like maybe a two-year deal, uh, guaranteed money to bring him back. He was number one in completion percentage over expected. And yeah. to be honest, it wasn't even that close over Patrick Holmes, all the best quarterbacks in the league. In the pocket, accuracy, on a dime, aggressive quarterback. That's where he ran into a little bit of turnover luck. But to me, if I'm building a team, I'm okay with turning the ball over a couple times if that does mean I'm unlocking Tyler Lock and DK Metcalf downfield. Both of them are back. Kenneth Walker back. The other thing about this whole Geno Smith thing is they crushed this last draft class before they're even going to get to benefit from all the Russell uh, Wilson uh, trades. They had, what, two offensive tackles, two yep. corners. Boye Mafia was a rotational edge rusher. Kenneth Walker might win offense rookie of the year. So you found a potential franchise quarterback and like five starters in one offseason. That's before you got the fifth overall pick this year. That's exactly what I wanted to talk about. I mean, Tariq Woolen, 1,200 snaps. Charles Cross, another pillar position, building a uh, roster at left tackle, 1,100 snaps. 
Abe Lucas, a man who's on the list. At right tackle, 1,000 snaps. Kobe Bryant, another rookie cornerback, 680 snaps. Kenneth Walker, 600 snaps. And as you said, Boye Mafe, who's kind of like a D-end, hybrid edge, linebacker, whatever, 452 snaps. I mean, so many of those rookies had good exposures during their rookie year. This isn't a bad team that was tanking, that had to play their rookies in spots to get them experience in order to fill out the roster. This is because they earned these positions and they played at a high level for many of them to force them into the playoffs. So at least to me, when I think about rookies and jumping in the second year, and Pete Carroll talked about this in his postseason press conference, everything's just going to slow down for them, you know, oh, yeah. and think about the jump that Woolen can make. Think about the jump that Cross and Abe Lucas can make. Think about what if Kenneth Walker is not just a big play running back, but also a guy that consistently picks up the yards that were blocked for him while also keeping this, you know, ace in the hole where he can spring off a 40, 50, 60 yard run. To me, that is all fantastic. And it just really speaks to the start of the dynasty, quote unquote, that the Seahawks had as maybe the second or third most winning organization for that stretch. It all started because they nailed middle and late round picks in like back to back drafts. Well, now you get it. Now you get this first one and let's see what John Schneider and Pete Carroll build on from here. You're going to get Jamal Adams back uh, next year as well. And he might be a little overrated, but he's still a good ball player in the back half. And they have all these picks. So like if they can find an edge rush, I'm not sure if the Will Anderson types, the Georgia types are going to be there at fifth overall. Um, but if they can get one edge rush of this team could go a long way, even though like, their linebacker play and stuff has been inconsistent, but they're using a lot of young uh, players down there as well. So for the, what do we want to see? You mentioned it. They have picks five, 20, 38 and 53. Think of how much we love the Seahawks this season. And now you have four top 53 picks to play with. And in his post-draft presser, which was 40 minutes long and Pete Kerr was awesome. in. you know, he was asked about the talent gap in his own division between the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. He immediately jumped to the defensive front and how it took them time to build it. Right. Remember all those top 10 picks that Seattle, uh, excuse me, that San Francisco had. And he said that, you know, the defensive line distracts you from really everything else. Quote, we have to be more dynamic up front. Compare that to what he said about the offense, that, quote, the system is intact and, quote, a lot of continuity coming back. So you and I already expect them to move on with Geno Smith as the quarterback here, either franchise tag, pay him in a two to three year deal. And so, again, with two top 20 selections, solidifying some more playmakers to go along with those rookie cornerbacks to me is exactly what I expect them to do on that side of the ball. Because to be honest with you, this defense was a vast departure from the Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn era Seahawks defense. Um, they had ran more of the cover to shell, the, the two high looks, so on and so forth. I'm not sure if Pete was in love with it, but I think Pete knows he has to get some playmakers up front in order to balance where this roster is at the moment. And then offensively, I think they can find a third uh, pass catcher. They still have uh, Noah Fant going into next year. We didn't get yeah. to see the most of him. Maybe it's a third wide receiver. that They need one hey, more quality player. Hey, Noah Fant is one of the weirder players to me. He's blowing my mind. Because he was easily one of the most athletic tight ends to ever grace the NFL combine and hit the NFL. And we've like yet to see a singular moment of Noah Fant, like look awesome. Because Will Disley, Will <laughs> Disley's getting snaps, man. Will Disley. Well, and Will Disley actually has a significant injury and who right. knows. 
his offseason program would be like. And as you mentioned with Jamal Adams, I think anything that he gives next year is a little bonus on top of it. I mean, he's their highest paid player. They devote yep. so much to him. And Pete Carroll said he's finally starting to move right now. So I know it was a really mm. significant injury, but that, that could be an interesting piece that they move around. And Jordan Brooks, who was a first round pick just a couple yep. years ago, hasn't even had surgery yet coming off of his major injury. But I'm so pro Seahawks that we talked about all their draft capital. They also have the sixth most cap space heading yep. into the offseason and even a few more levers that they can pull to create even more cap space onto that. So John Schneider has a bunch of pieces to play with. And it's, I know one that me, you, the fantasy community, while we didn't know what to expect from them, I think they had a six and a half projected win total heading into this season. It might flip to the opposite end of the spectrum. And we all overhyped them potentially a little bit too much. The uh, I know the draft is random, but at what point does John Schneider get a little bit of credit where he's just this isn't random. This is just him in his bag a little bit. No, no, no. Okay, I actually want to do talk about this because I think it's such an interesting topic because like when we go back to the awesome years of of what John Schneider did when he had Richard Sherman in the fifth round, right? Malcolm Smith in the seventh round, KJ Wright in the fourth round. That was all the way back in 2011, just after they took, you know, Earl Thomas, Golden Tate, Russell Okung in the same draft. Um, You know, then the next year in 2012, it was Bobby Wagner in the second, Russell Wilson in the third round. So again, it's these middle round picks, J.R. Sweezy in the seventh round. But then I mean, DK Metcalf like, was late second round too. Correct. correct. Yeah. But then, you know, they go through these weird spells of Kristen Michael in round two, uh, Paul Richardson in round two, um, Frank Clark in round two, which was a hit along with hey. Tyler Lockett. So like 2015 was a good year from them. And then you have Jermaine Effetti in the first round, followed by Jaron Reed, who's a decent player, but it's, it's up and down. Like I even remember there was a year where they thought their edge was taking injured players at the college level and then banking on them being healthy but getting a discount on them, and that just completely failed. Like, as much as we can talk about, hey, DK Metcalf was a second rounder, so was D. Eskridge for them as a second rounder. Facts. But totally, to me, it's about having early draft capital and a lot of arrows to hit. And what the Seahawks have done so well in their past is these thresholds. I think other team you know, caught on to these thresholds, whether it be arm length based on the defense that they used to um, use or athletic testing and measurables. Well, now the rest of the NFL did that. So I think a huge part for them is now finding what their edge is here, but they are in a nice run. They're in a really nice run and hopefully they can replicate what they did last season. All right. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are next. We go from pick five to pick 19. So what did we learn about TB Bucks? Well, Losing Ali Marpet to retirement, Alex Kappa to free agency, Ryan Jensen to an ACL injury on the second day of practice, to me was just foreshadowing of what was to come. I mean, at age 45, Tom Brady's arm strength certainly has not declined, but his willingness to stand in there and take a hit certainly has. I mean, he's now completely terrified of contact, and that was extremely evident for months and even more evident on Monday Night Football in that playoff game which it peaked with that first interception against the Cowboys. No one was open. And instead of standing there and throwing the ball at the back of the end zone, he kind of spun, ducked, and just lofted it to absolutely no one. So we'll get into what could happen from here. But 
the idea that they could bring everyone back in and maybe again replace Marpet with Shaq Mason, uh, Kappa with a rookie, and hopefully have Ryan Jensen back and again bring everyone back together for another run certainly did not work in this instance. On top of that, Tristan Wirfs, the right tackle, missed some time. Their left tackle, Donovan Smith, I just based off of watching the games, I would guess he led all offensive linemen in penalties this year. He did not have a good season. And to me, and this is where we get into some trouble with the Buccaneers moving forward, Tom Brady sounds like he uh, set his goodbye uh, in that press conference after this last game. To me, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin did not look like Chris uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans this year. They Correct. both, I thought, struggled separating uh, a little bit more, especially Chris Godwin underneath. Chris Godwin was still very physical, but he did not seem to have that explosiveness. Maybe he gets it back next year, but this team is really in bad shape when it comes to cap. Obviously, every single team knows how to restructure contracts. They will get back under the cap, but they are going to be in a very bad position when it comes to finding a new quarterback because right now it does not seem like uh, Tom Brady's going to be back, and they definitely went all in to run this thing back. And I think it's warranted. How can you move on from Tom Brady when you have him in the building? but you eventually will have to start paying the price for that. I think that this next year could be a long one for Tampa Bay. I mean, look at all of these free agents that they have listed. It's Tom Brady, Levante David, Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy Bunting, Anthony Nelson, who really emerged as like this edge rusher of the last couple of years, Mike Edwards, Akeem Hicks. On top of that, you mentioned that Mike Evans and Chris Godwin didn't look the same. Well, then they tried to supplement it, complement it with Russell Gage, and that didn't pan out. Right. I'm glad he's feeling so much better, but for the full whole season, certainly didn't work out. And then Julio Jones on top of that towards the end of uh, training camp. Like they were so into this that they did all the void years with a bunch of these veteran players. And yep. you have to like either that works or it doesn't. And it certainly didn't work here. So there's two paths here. Um, one, you either get one more year with Tom Brady or you move on from Tom Brady. I, I think the second is going to happen either by his choice yes. or even their choice. But I think Tom's gone because Tom wants to be gone. Correct. And if he's gone because of all of this, it's almost going to be a total reset. Like there's no backup quarterback, even though they spent a second or third rounder on one a couple years ago, that guy's got zero snaps. Blaine Gabbert has more snaps than he does. And so if Brady leaves, I think it's nearly an impossible team to predict of what they're going to do because they legitimately might be, a bottom 10 roster if they dish some of their veteran players who are used to a winning environment in order to be better two, three years from now. And they might move on from their coaching staff there. I didn't like what Todd Bowles was doing. Byron Leftwich didn't seem like he was on the same page with Tom Brady in, in this last year. Um, if I'm a, if I'm a team, I'm calling about Chris Godwin, some of these other contracts. If you're just looking at the top eight contracts on the bucks in terms of cap space next year, their average age is over 31 years old. And the Tom Brady situation is there's $35 million on that cap next year. And if he comes back and he's playing for another team, there's no way to move around that money. So they're going to be in very deep stuff. I think if I was going to have a really bold take, maybe the Bucks have a top three pick next year. That mm. might not be the, uh, necessarily the worst thing with Caleb Williams coming. Tough there. season. Maybe, maybe that Panthers gig gets a little more inviting if uh, you think about that along with the Saints yep. and where the Falcons are at the moment. I did want to talk about that coaching staff for a minute because there's going to be an off offensive coordinator change a uh, Peter report who does a great job have already reported. And this might happen yep. during the show that Byron Leftwich is going to be fired. They went from 30 points a game on average on offense to 18 points per game. 
And I think we've learned that Byron Leftwich, despite working underneath Bruce Arians for so long, is a very conservative play caller. And then Pewter Report reported that uh, Todd Bowles, obviously, as we heard, wanted them to run the ball more. But so did Tom Brady. He advocated for it. And I think it goes back to the original point. They just didn't want to get hit as often. But the word that's circulating now, I don't know if you've seen these interviews, was that when Todd Bowles was named head coach on March 30th, the window to basically hire anyone else that he wanted to was over. So he was forced to keep Byron Leftwich and the rest of this coaching staff. So while we kind of thought that they were attached for this long, it kind of read between the lines now that Todd Bowles never really wanted Byron Leftwich as his play caller. And uh, I think the, not even say success, the failures of this season probably speaks to as to why. Did Leftwich turn down the Jaguars job last year? Yeah, I think he and Adrian Wilson were a package deal. And when they didn't want to hire Adrian Wilson and wanted to keep Trent Baalke, they pivoted on over to Doug Peterson. Maybe Jacksonville knows what they're doing. You know, maybe they do. All right. Miami Dolphins are next at pick number 21. Well, they were supposed to be there, but they're not Hayden. Why? Yeah, they got to forfeit that pick when you're going after Sean Payton and Tom Brady. Um, And this is just one of the teams that this was an all-in team for this year. And for a while, it was looking very smart. Obviously, they had the third most 20-plus yard passes downfield. They were eighth in passing EPA. They had the second highest A dot in the league. They had the second most play action in the league. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle were basically alternating 150-yard games. Tua, when he was healthy, was lights out throwing to the intermediate part of the field because, to me, Mike McDaniel's got something going on that the rest of the league hasn't figured out, and that's throwing the ball downfield and over the middle of the field. And that's where the most efficient passing game is. He was able to get the most out of Tua behind an offensive line that I don't think was very good. The team, just in general, to me, was very one-dimensional. The pass game was on fire, but really, if you pull back the curtain, the rest of the offense and the defense wasn't really that good. The defense, 26 in EPA allowed. They were 20th in penalties. They were 28th in special teams DVOA. When it came to running the ball in short yardage, they were 18th. So really what happens is you're going to return all these these, uh, players, the key players back, including Chubb, both obviously the wide receivers and uh, the quarterback. But they don't really have that much capital to kind of add to it so they're going to basically be running this thing back and is there going to be an off season of hey did we find a little bit of a blueprint here how healthy is Tua can we bank on Tua do we have to address the backup quarterback situation so lots of questions here and I'm not sure there's gonna be that much answers except that I know that just watching Mike McDaniel this offense is beyond sweet it's the most efficient bankable offense there is they just need Tua to stay healthy for the entire course of the season we'll I think it's basically impossible for us uh, in our chairs to kind of predict if that's going to be able to happen uh, in 2023. Have you seen the suggestions that Mike McDaniel should be fired? It's it's beyond ridiculous. It seems like the, the players love him. And on top of that, his just, his, this scheme was revolutionary just because like you had like the Lamar Jackson offense is throwing over the middle of the field. Uh, but to me, this was just like downfield and on top of that. Yeah. Um, and they did that without like a strong run game. Like, you know, the, the Lamar Jackson offense happens because of Lamar Jackson, that run game. This was just like, we don't even have a good run game, but we're still throwing the ball over the middle using play action, RPO, all the fun stuff. It's even different than San Francisco's, which is built over the middle of the field, because when you look at it, and I wish I had these final season numbers, but I remember when we did the scheme episode with Josh McCown, hopefully you tuned into that one because it was an awesome episode. The 49ers are notoriously first or second in yards after the catch per average with their just numbers in general for every single one of their pass catchers. The Dolphins were like 30th or 29th. You know, it was that cavity that they create off of 
play action, but it wasn't to the benefit where they were really running after the catch. That probably improved as the season went along with a few more big Jalen Waddle receptions. But when Tua was healthy, you know, for the first two thirds of the season, it was beautiful, like mm-hmm. you said. And like again, there was that streak there with every game that he started and finished that they were undefeated. Now, when they ran into the 49ers, the the Chargers, and then you know the final three interceptions with the Green Bay Packers, it, it it was quite bad. But to me, it just speaks to how great Mike McDaniel is. Where a year ago at this time, you and I were just fed up watching this Miami offense because it was just RPO after RPO after RPO. And while you can bring up some hesitations about Tua Tungavailoa jumping into the elite status among quarterbacks, namely, you know, winning outside of structure, creating on his own, you know, massive arm. It's no longer an RPO offense, you know, mm-hmm. it's to the hashes, it's over the middle field. And just in fact, how he runs RPOs is different and better than almost anyone across the league because of his anticipation, his quickness to throw and his eyes and his accuracy on top of it. So I really hope that Tua is healthy enough because I really do think that it's a easily playoff caliber offense, maybe even AFC championship caliber offense if he's out there running it. Yeah, they got to get better offensive line. Uh, Teron Armstead, their best offensive lineman, he was in and out of the lineup. Some of the other pieces were just not even on the field at all. And then maybe get something with the ground game. Both Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson are free agents. Mike Gesicki, he's going to be a free agent. He wasn't a fit in this offense anyways. And then they missed some key players on the defense as well. They just have to have better injury luck next year. But uh, going back to it, uh, the Tua contract situation, his cap number next year is only nine million dollars then you have the fifth year option potentially after that then you get your franchise tag so they can kind of take this thing basically uh year by year with Tua and Tyreek Hill Jalen Waddle both haven't even turned 30 years old yet so the, the core of this is here to stay just what what could they do to get into that Buffalo Bills Chiefs kind of category right and I think it's going to be the offensive line and defense yeah again it's a really weird dynamic for them a year ago at this time, well, not a year ago, let's say seven months ago, where they were like maybe a toe in the water of, hey, we could be players in the 2023 quarterback class because we have both of these first round picks and we're not exactly sure where Tua is in this moment. But as soon as the trade deadline hit and they traded one of their first rounders for Bradley Jubb, which really hasn't worked, even they had to give him a contract on top of that too. Um And then, obviously, they get the punishment for tampering Sean Payton and Tom Brady. They have no first-round picks. So you're kind of stuck with what this grouping is. I'm with you. Like, we've seen investments. You can look at the Bills from a couple years ago, the Giants from this season, where you just take, like, six shots, the Panthers even, six shots along the offensive line, and then find, like, a front five that works. Um, They do have some defensive players. Like, I know what? Byron Jones didn't play at all this season, but up front Jalen Phillips has really emerged. Zach Sealer, I think is one of the more underrated, like intense, aggressive interior defensive linemen from like Ferris state university or something like that. So they've got some interesting Javon Holland in the back end too. So I'm excited for year two because I I can't get over in the first four or five, six weeks of the season, how stunned shock and all we were of this offense And like then it just wasn't as interesting week after week. And I think some of their role players maybe didn't make as many big plays. River Craycraft, I think Al Ingold broke his hand, so on and so forth. But 
I'm excited to see what wrinkles Mike McDaniel has with another offseason. Plus, as you said, their defensive coaching staff were all holdovers from Brian Flores, and I bet McDaniel has his eyes on some people on that side of the ball too. Dolphins versus Jets, similar situations. Just can they get to that next level for a, probably a wild card spot uh, with the Bills running that division? Their first pick is 52 overall. Then they have the 78th overall, which is from the New England Patriots. Was that Devontae Parker? Maybe. And yep. then uh, 85 overall. So interesting offseason head for the Miami Dolphins. Next up, one pick after them. It's the Los Angeles Chargers coming off a brutal second half meltdown. This is your team, Hayden. What'd you like about them this year? <laughs> well, I didn't like uh, all of the injuries that they had. And I think that's where we got to start and pretty on brand for the Chargers, as is that huge loss uh, in a game. They probably should have won Rayshon Slater, the left tackle. I do think they have something long term with him for sure. Joey Bosa uh, also missed so much time. JC Jackson was probably the uh, offseason bust of the year. He's coming off injury. They were even thinking about benching him at times before that. And then you had Keenan Allen and Mike Williams going in out of the lineup. Justin Herbert was playing through uh, a rib injury of his own. Uh, but really, it just came down to that decision to play these guys in that Week 18 game. Really came back to haunt him. Joey Bosa, probably the worst game of his entire career. It wasn't even just the penalties. He just was not uh, m- making that uh, pocket collapse in any capacity. And then Mike Williams, when he wasn't out there, man, that wide receiver group looked really bad. There was a play... And I believe is the last drive of the game. First and 10, they go to 13 personnel and they hadn't been able to run the ball at all. This only wide receiver on the field is Joshua Palmer and Joshua Palmer. I think he's a number three guy. I think he's versatile. He's physical, but they need juice. So I think looking forward to this next year, obviously we learned Joe Lombardi's out of there. I agree with that decision. They need to be able to run the ball uh, and they need speed to unlock Justin Herbert. And really it just comes down to, you can't finish 31st in dot with Justin Herbert. I do agree. Justin Herbert does go through his progressions maybe a little too early, checks the ball down a little bit too much. Maybe that's because they have Austin Eckler to throw the ball down underneath. But they did not throw the ball down the field at all, and that's probably because their three wide receivers are Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, Keenan Allen. Neither of those guys are going to be running four or five. So find find me a guy that like a LaFleur, somebody like that, a Frank Reich, somebody like that, and then give me – a first round wide receiver that could run four, four, five. And then we can probably see the best of Justin Herbert. Are you telling me in a playoff game where win and move on is a necessity that you don't want to see this type of passing chart from Justin Herbert? You know, yeah. when you've seen Josh Allen have the most throws of 20 plus yards of the season this past week, and we saw what Trevor Lawrence did on the opposite end. Uh, and this is just continuous of the whole season, right? Like, and the, the underneath guys aren't even yak guys. Like Keenan Allen's on a yak guy. Uh, Gerald no never juice. really isn't. Yeah, it's none of these guys are yak guys. In fact, the person that they thought would bring juice to the table and they signed for this very reason was Gerald Everett. And Gerald Everett actually had a few plays in this game and yeah. was their best yak threat. But I'm with you. It's it's why we talked about like Jamison Williams being attached to them last year during the draft, and obviously he wasn't available. All of those wide receivers went way ahead of the chargers yeah. last season. But like if there was a way to move up for Chris Olave or something like that would have totally changed this team. You and I, prior to this conversation going live, we're mentioning all the teams that like went all in for this season. Um, we forgot to mention the chargers and they were one on some level. Now this was the final year. I think of like the Justin Herbert rookie contract, like really cheap, that, correct. Yeah. Really cheap. Yeah. That allowed you to do this, but you know, the trade for Cleo Mack, who right now is the second highest paid player on their defense, you yeah. know, how often did we say every single week, Oh man, Cleo Mack's one to watch for. 
Never. It was a down year. JC Jackson, as you said, sixth, fifth in terms of paid players on their team. Sebastian Joseph Day went in and got him as well. We mentioned Gerald Everett. Like there are a few more. I don't know. It certainly hurts when you lose someone like Rashawn Slater, who's a top three, top four, top five left tackle. But there is something to be unlocked with Justin Herbert. And as we've already seen early on today, Joe Lombardi has been let go. So build up, raise up everything, make it a bit more explosive. But there's going to be some hard decisions that go along with that, aren't there, Hayden? Yeah, there's going to be some big decisions. I think primarily is Keenan Allen's contract. He is releasable slash tradable. Um, I think he's making about $20 million a year. I don't think that he's a top 10 uh, wide receiver anymore. I've seen a little bit of decline from him. Um, so to me, if, if it's a swap of, hey, guess what? We're getting rid of Keenan Allen, but we addressed the speed at the wide receiver position. I would view that as a win. The other thing with this offense, though, the Chargers were 30th in big play runs. They were 21st in short yardage success rate. On the ground, Austin Eckler has been fantastic for fantasy, and he's still a really good real-life player too. But when it comes down to just closing out a game, could you run the ball? We saw in the Jaguars game, I think they had like seven yards on seven carries in the second right. half. That's just not good enough. And definitely some of that was because of the right guard, the rookie. Uh, some of that, I think, was Austin Eckler bouncing a little bit too much. But this has been a problem for the Chargers for quite a bit on offense and for defense. At some point, Brandon Staley's got to give up the bit that we're going to finish 27th in EPA on the ground. I know that they're making that sacrifice because the uh, the passing defense is very good. It was six in EPA, which is, I think, the reason why Staley's staying around uh, because they didn't have Bosa for most of the season. They did not have their number one corner the entire season. They still finished six in EPA. That's because Staley can scheme his ass off. But at some point, you can't be this bad uh, defending the, the ground. That's how Travis Etienne kind of ripped up the team. Uh, down the stretch so there, there's they have stars can Correct. they get that second tier group of players give me like dj chark would be like a number two option so i guess that's like my that. i guess that's my question because like this year's free agent class at wide receiver not going to blow the doors off anyone and it's so funny to me and i understand it that everyone is ridiculing the jaguars for going out last year and spending so much money on christian kirk and then all that we heard after their comeback victory is well what if you know the charters had mm -hmm. someone like christian kirk that had some vertical elements because you got to pay for it you know yep. like are you going to go and spend on dj chark who hasn't been healthy for two straight seasons you know has some of those traits you have to hit on one of those guys you know among yeah. the wide receivers like you can't bring in someone like michael thomas you know Nelson well, a lot Aguilar. of the players are are underneath guys like juju right. jacoby myers the top right. of the free agency class are not what this the chargers offense needs correct so is there a Amari Cooper s trade that's out there that we can't think of at this moment, you know, find the Chris Olave trade, you know, if you have to make that aggressive move in the draft to go up a couple spots to get that uh, franchise wide receiver too. I mean, they don't need somebody that's going to have 130 targets in this offense. They have Mike Williams and, and Austin Eckler to an extent that can handle that load. They need somebody that's going to have 75 targets, but average 10.2 yards per target because his eight odd right. is 17 yards down the field. Yeah. I mean, there's Richie James and Greg like Dorch MVS. out there at wide yeah. receiver. Like MVS you know? gets cut, and then that's their player. We'll yeah, see. I mean, the Isaiah Hodgins guy with the Giants, but you know, these are restricted free agents as no. well. So it's it's going to be a weird wide receiver market to go into. Quickly, just wanted to ask you, lots of people also calling for Brandon Staley's head as a head coach. No. Your thoughts? No, I, I, think, I think he's still probably a, a good coach. Good coach. I know that the players really like him. Correct. Uh, and 
And I just knowing the the Chargers ownership, I don't think they want to be spending this much money uh, getting rid and firing their coaches. Uh, and I mean, to be honest, that, that six and EPA allowed stat uh, is pretty impressive for how many star players they were missing on defense. Uh, and I think that Joe Lombardi was like the perfect like kind of scapegoat for this whole thing. We were talking about it coming into the year and then everything that we were saying kind of played into it. So. The one thing I do want to say about Brandon Staley is I, I want him to go back to the super aggressive Brandon Staley. I think I kind of bullied out of it. Give me back to the super aggressive. And I think that's finding the right play caller that's saying, guess what, Justin Herbert? I know you want to take that check down, but guess what? We're ripping it. If you throw more five more interceptions on the season, but now instead of averaging seven yards per attempt, you're averaging 8.4. That is a win we have to be willing to take. So to me, Brandon Staley is still a very good schematic coach. It does seem like the players do like him. So I would give him one more year. Daniel Popper said the exact same thing and they really tried to take some of the opportunity, the, the, the responsibility off of Austin Eckler's plate too, because, you know, you spend a fourth round pick on Isaiah Spiller. They talked him up and then we never even saw Isaiah Spiller this year. They went back to Joshua Kelly and it just felt like they got back to the same point where they just weren't comfortable playing anyone else. And that's an issue. Just quickly. I sorted by snaps for wide receiver free agents do you know who played the most snaps this season among all wide receiver free agents? Oh man. Um, Percentage. I would guess Juju. No, no Matt Collins. Matt Collins. Yeah. The, you know, the guy who might shockingly be paid the most of this group is Darius Slayton as an unrestricted. He would fit. Free agent. <laughs> I know, but you're going to have to pay so much. Going to have to pay so much. All right. Chargers done. at pick 22 next sticking the AFC it's the Baltimore Ravens and a week ago, Hayden would say, you know, tough draw, not having your star quarterback out there in a wild card weekend game. Um, what's the latest on that star quarterback sticking yeah. with this team for next year? Because it feels like in the past seven days, that's taken some turns, at least publicly. Getting him back is going to be bumpy, not because of like where they're at, um, just kind of like with control, because they still have the franchise tag for Lamar Jackson. So unless Lamar Jackson is willing to eat a bunch of money and not play at all, um, the Ravens still should be looking to bring him back. Now, him not traveling with the team, I found really odd. And I think that some of the other uh, comments, like some players from like Sammy Watkins taking taking shots, uh, Harbaugh hasn't come out and said like Lamar is our guy. There's definitely some weirdness going on. And then obviously with Lamar Jackson, he's one of the few players in the league um, that doesn't have an agent. So there's a whole lot of things that they got to sort sort out. But obviously, if you're the Ravens, you have to bring him back. I don't care really what the price is because he's this entire team. And there are 11 healthy games. Lamar Jackson, they had a 75 uh, point differential. That's one of the tops in the league. And they did that without even being able to pass the ball downfield. They were 30th in deep ball catch rate. They were 31st in 20 plus passes. Uh, this is even though they were, fourth in play action rate. They had the ninth highest depth of target. So they were trying. They just did not have the talent on the perimeter to make any good. So you have to bring Lamar back and you got to get him uh, a number one, unless you're going to be banking on Rashad Bateman, the defense. I, I have full trust in that's never really been a problem for the Ravens. It really just comes down to, can you figure out the pass game? I think Lamar Jackson bringing him back and then also getting him a number one option would be to me, how you get the Ravens back into the kind of the Super Bowl contender list. Lamar Jackson accounted for 12 touchdowns in the opening three games. Uh, the next nine games had eight total touchdowns. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the reasons, you know, a huge one to me was losing Rashad Bateman. And 
I didn't think actually Rashad Bateman took like a massive step because we didn't really see him at all during his rookie season. He was playing more, but not like still full-time snaps. It was this weird dynamic in those first three weeks where out in man coverage or off against a blitz, he would make big plays, yet it didn't feel like he was a sturdy part of the offense, like series yep. in and series out. It was almost like a top rotational piece. He wasn't Mike. playing in one wide receiver sets. Demarcus Correct. Robinson was playing in one wide receiver. That, that tells me that they don't think he's physical enough. Correct. But then on top of that, as soon as Rashad Bateman left this offense, the passing game might completely crumbled. It's because no they didn't have anyone who could yeah. win on the outside and in you know man coverage situations. And that's how they, I'm not going to say chose to enter this year, but it was Demarcus Robinson who like wasn't even part Nobody of the wanted. roster through training camp, you know? until he was a, a, a cut and um, James Prochet and Devin Duvernay, who's like a manufactured touch player. I don't know. Like it's a weird team to look at offensively at this point. I think defensively, they're great. I think defensively yeah. they've really figured out new defensive coordinator and Harbaugh made a really difficult decision to move away from Wink Martindale, who had been his guy for years. And I think they really figured it out towards the end of the year, especially their run defense. Holy shit. Yeah. Roquan. Um, now, is Harbaugh going to make the tough decision to move on from someone like Greg Roman to try to unlock a different element of this passing offense and offense in general? Because they've done some great things together in the Mar Jackson and Greg Roman team. Yeah, they they really have. But also, what is the offer if you're the Ravens that you have to accept? Like, because there's got to be some teams that are would be willing to go the Deshaun Watson, what three first round picks, fully guaranteed money is is at what point do you have to start looking at that deal? Does it really just depend on what whether Lamar Jackson tells you straight up? I'm not playing on the franchise tag. I want X amount of guaranteed dollars. It's it, it, it's in a worse spot than I thought it was a couple of weeks ago. I thought that he had this injury and he wanted the money. Obviously, they would just ultimately figure this out or play on the franchise tag like Lamar Jackson had been willing to do. But it seems like there's more to this. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is representing yourself and, you know, trying to play through a tough situation with no people to pass to when you carry the offense. And then sometime during that week, they're like, Hey, we're thinking about these parameters. Like, think about doing that, you know, yeah. your job through the whole week going through, you know, trying to rehab injuries, so on and so forth. And then them also wanting to talk contract numbers that must be impossible. Right. Yeah. But Roquan Smith just did this as well. I think he was his own agent. Yep. I highly doubt, highly doubt that Lamar Jackson will be moved this offseason unless he is like putting his foot in the dirt and saying, I am not playing unless this is a fully guaranteed contract. Right. Yeah. And the Ravens say, no, we're not doing that. And some team says, yes, we will. But it also feels like the NFL at large has now been advised. Maybe don't do it under yeah. the table. To right. oh you're not allowed to do these gar fully guaranteed contracts anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I would put it. I think last week I would have said it's like ten percent. Now I would say it's like twenty five percent chance it gets moved. But I still think ultimately with the franchise tag, that's still such a, a pro team uh, leverage spot that they have that I think they're going to have to work this thing out. And um, I mean ultimately they just need one wide receiver and Lamar Jackson back out there, and then this team can get real freaky really fast. Yeah, because. I remember everyone focused on that long J.K. Dobbins run and how his gate didn't look right. Look right, but now that we've seen, you know, between the tackles from five to ten yards, like he's still making jump cuts and I think looks very good there. You know, so you bring but, him. But back. even it's on him, like freaking Gus Bus can average five right. yards per right. carry in this offense. But it, 
and the main point I want to make about this offense is like in the last two years, remember in like 2021, it was all about offensive line injuries over and over and over again. They'd play all these backups and that's what tanked everything. Right. And this past year, it was everything kind of, but the offensive line, which like Ronnie Stanley came back, played a high level, Tyler Linderbaum, got a whole bunch of snaps, uh, Kevin Zeitler out there, so on and so forth. So I just need them to like run hot again. Cause like when they ran hot in those first three weeks, it was beautiful. Yeah. I still think that the team ceiling is extremely high. Do you think Lamar and Greg Roman come back together? Um, probably. Oh, I, I can't get over like the big deal that Harbaugh made last year of getting rid of Wink Martindale and Wink having some revenge on that. Um, I bet he makes a big decision and change the offensive coordinator this offseason. season. Uh, Greg. I would I would welcome it. I bet he does. Somebody's got to be a scapegoat. Last one, Minnesota Vikings, twenty fourth pick right now. What did we learn? We'll start really easy here. Justin Jefferson has a great case for being the NFL's best wide receiver. We can all look at that fourth and eighteen catch against the Buffalo Bills. There were many others that were just nutty. But on top of this, the Vikings were very aggressive mid season in finding a secondary pass catcher when they realized, hey. When teams start bracketing Justin Jefferson, we really have no answer offensively. Adam Thielen's not that guy anymore. KG Osborne had a couple big games like against the Indianapolis Colts, but we really needed that second person when he sees isolated coverage to win. And they got that in TJ Hawkinson, a big price to pay, but they got that and he hit the ground running in a way that we don't see many, you know, midseason trades turn out. Um, on top of this, Kevin O'Connell, I think as a first year head coach and really play caller outside the Los Angeles Rams, I think showed a lot of promise in the way that he handled this offense. And obviously they won so many one score games, 11 of them this season. Yeah. And that, and that won't stick obviously. So I think everyone's gonna be looking at like unders when it comes to the Vikings next year. And they're going to have to make a lot of big decisions. Cause I think like we think of this Vikings team kind of as like the 2019, 2020 Vikings with all that defense and secondary help. They're going to have to make some big boy decisions when it comes to releasing some of them on defense. And plus, Adam Thielen's a cut candidate. Dalvin Cook's a cut candidate. Alexander Madison's backup is a free agent. But they're going to really have to figure out um, this bracket coverage stuff because we saw multiple times, including in this yep. playoff game. And now when you had Thielen and KG Osborne, they were actually moving the ball pretty well. But the biggest thing is they got to get better cornerback play. In 2023, Pat Pete can't be your number one. So that's the number one thing they're going to have to figure out. Uh, and they're going to have a, a more money this year just because they're going to be making some of these releases. But Kirk yeah. Cousins on that deal, and they're stuck there. But on top of that, right now they're $24 million over the cap when just looking at the raw numbers at this moment. But in order mm -hmm. to get on the other end of that, they're going to have to get rid of, as you said, the players that we most associate wearing purple and gold yeah. in – a Vikings uniform like Adam Thielen is probably gone. That saves you 6.4 million. Harrison Smith, 7.3 million. There's a case that a lot of Vikings fans out there want to move on from Dalvin Cook at 7.9 million. Like he had some explosive plays, but then a lot of week to week series to series stuff was yeah. really not efficient coming from him. But on top of that, Alexander Madison is also a free agent. So, I mean, I think they have the fourth or fifth worst cap number at this moment but that's going to drastically change and this is quasi specialty is it not yeah. their, their general manager um the other point that you made 
is they aren't going to win 11 one score games again next season, but there is a chance that their team is better. Even if their record is worse, if that makes sense because of regression and things hitting in the win loss column, but the team actually being better off for it. I quickly want to mention a couple things. They made trades last offseason. Remember, they traded with the Detroit Lions, who moved up for Jamison Williams. They moved back. The guy that they got in the first round, Lewis Seen, played just two snaps this season. Yeah. Andrew Booth at cornerback played just 100 snaps. So that should have been one of your starting safeties, starting corners, even though they weren't coming out of training camp. And you get nothing from them. Meanwhile, Ed Ingram, who was a second or third round pick, led the offense in snaps this year. So they need to start hitting on some of these draft picks. We've seen some of these first or second year general managers doing that. They haven't really done that as of yet. And that would change a lot for them. The betting markets will have the Lions as the favorite for this division, even though the records yes. would have it otherwise. I think the Vikings are like 27th in DVOA. Hmm. Hmm. Would you move on from Dalvin Cook? Yes. He didn't, he didn't seem like that. And, and, this, I mean, first of all, the this GM and this head coach didn't bring Dalvin Cook in, obviously, right. and it's a very analytical-based uh, front office. I would guess that he might be out of there. Yeah. And then offensively, like Christian Darasaw really emerged as one of the better young left tackles in the league. We know Brian O'Neill, who yeah. you know left with an injury, is a very good right tackle, but they've got some other questions. Ed Ingram obviously started one of their spots. Ezra Cleveland has been up and down a little bit, and then... I mean, Dexter Lawrence versus Garrett Brown. I was going to say, was. that was the the <laughs> official problem for the Vikings was interior blocking against Dexter Lawrence. It was a massive issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I really like Ezra Cleveland at, at one of the guard spots, and I, I think he can keep progressing as a player, great athlete out there. But the Dexter Lawrence versus Garrett Bradbury dynamic was uh, was very one-sided. Yeah. Some might say bully yep. up there. Um. It's it's such a it's such a departure, I think, from what we thought of like the the Mike Zimmer and Spielman dynamic to what we're gonna see with Kevin O'Connell and and Quezzi, because they've already like made a bunch of deals again, multiple trades with inside that division with the Detroit Lions and another offseason to play with. Um mm-hmm. we just see a a reloaded team on probably defense, but I wouldn't be surprised if the offense again, takes a couple steps back because they have to in order to put a roster out there defensively. I think they're going to have to ask a lot from Justin Jefferson and yes. TJ Hawkinson, because yes. I think the depth around them is not going to be where it was this year. A uh, quick thing to wrap this thing up of these six teams next year, you had to pick one of them to represent one of their conferences in the, in the championship game. Which one would you pick? I think I would probably go with the Chargers. See if there's an upside I mean, case. Of course, with... you're going to pick the Chargers. Of okay, course but you are. what about you? <laughs> of course, you're going to pick the Chargers. I mean, I'll probably pick the Chargers too. Exactly. Yeah, um, see, I'm right. No, but if I, yeah, I'll pick the Chargers. But if I know two is playing next year, I'll go Miami as the second one. I mean, yeah. it is Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. And that dynamic, plus the young players they have defensively. I didn't even mention Christian Watkins, who played like 1,100 snaps at defensive tackle, who is animated, pushes the pocket, makes a ton of tackles at that position. Unreal player. Unreal player that they have there. So they got some fun, dude. All right. That's going to do it for us. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday to preview, what, the four games this weekend? What a weekend. What a weekend. They should be great. Uh, We're going to have a scheme episode this week on Brock Purdy as well. So be on the lookout for that one. 
And if your teams are drafting the top five, top 10, and you really want to focus on this year's quarterback class, go and watch that 20 minute episode on Bryce Young, who might be less than six feet tall, but he can see over the middle of the field and create inside the pocket. Really fun player to watch. And we just did one on CJ Stroud as well, who just declared for the NFL draft. Um, to me, he's like in that range of I'm not going to say Dak Prescott, but like a distributor, a facilitator who will go um, through his reads and, and progressions. And like at worst, I would say a Jared Goff that doesn't freak out against pressure. So go and watch both those episodes of Scheme if you want to. I can't wait. Uh, last thing, we have the gauntlet returns, the mitten returns. If you miss out on NFL playoffs, best ball, uh, we did over $3 million in those drafts. So it's not a niche game anymore. People are really liking them. You can get a second crack at it right now. Uh, obviously, this thing fills up by Saturday, 500,000 uh, for the gauntlet returns. The mitten has 100,000. If you are a big mitten guy, that's 200K. It's such a fun game. Uh, you don't have to deal with the bye weeks this time around, but go try it out. This game has really exploded. I mean, $3 million is not no longer a niche game. This thing's getting popular for the right reasons. It's my favorite fantasy game out there. So go try it if you haven't. Victor, Stampers. Tony, I, Monty, Jutes, all of you, we appreciate you watching. Uh, you can go and play on Underdog, as I had mentioned, the link's in the description down below, and we'll match your first deposit up to $100. Up the Vela. We'll talk to you all soon. See you Thursday.